Welcome to Radio Survivor, the sound of strong communities. Uh, my name is Paul Riesmanel. Hello, everybody. Eric Klein here for Radio Survivor, and we're joined on the line by everyone from Radio Survivor via Skype. Hi. It's Hello. It's Jennifer Waits and Matthew Lassar of Radio Survivor here with us today. And today, uh, we're doing a mailbag show. Frequently asked questions of Radio Survivor. We actually get a lot of questions via email because people find us, often they're looking for information on tiny arcane topics or, or, or big ones, like how do I start a radio station? And there's not actual a lot of guidance out there on the internet. Mm. And people see that we're writing about these sorts of things and they send us emails that we, we answer. Like I want to say, he's like, if you email us, we, we generally will answer you if it's, if it's a reasonable question and you're nice to us. Because some of these questions pop up again and again and again and again, maybe we should answer them in a forum where more people can hear yeah. the answers. And, and if you haven't asked these questions of us yet, you might like the answers anyway. You might have realized that, I mean, who would have thunk that you could even ask the question, how do I start my own radio station? I don't think that's a common thought in most and people's yet, minds. What happens is people read something like the recent New York Times article about Low Power FM, which seems to have uh, triggered a surge in emails to us mm-hmm. because there was a link to Radio Survivor there. It got people thinking, like, how can I do this? I so, want a radio so station. So we're, we're going to tackle that. <laughs> um, and we also sometimes just get fun things in the actual mail. And uh, Matthew Lassar, he is the guy who gets our actual mail. Oh, like when you, you send something mail. in you the pieces of paper. When you send something through the Postal Service to Radio Survivor. Put a stamp on it. Oh Matthew Lassar is the guy who opens it up. And you got a really fun package recently, Matthew. We received a package from an admirer two weeks ago, accompanied by the following missive. Howdy. Read in Monday's New York Times about your low-power FM radio efforts. I thought smartphones put an end to low-power FM. Glad it did not. Back in the 1990s, I was interested enough to get a kit from Berkeley Community Radio. I think that that's what you called it. Uh, but I didn't get it to work, so you can have it. <laughs> so- power, to the- <laughs> power to the people. Free speech for all. Dan. And, and um, so this transmitter – uh, ostensibly, yeah. it was I mean, a circuit board. It was, you know, a transmitter circuit board um, with homebrewed, homebrewed, couple of wires in it, and I took it out. And now, as I said on the post that I put up, Dan, your gift will receive a place in the of honor in the newly christened Museum of Low Power FM, <laughs> just set up on a bookshelf at our San Francisco offices. Many thanks, and it's sitting on a bookshelf right next to where I'm sitting here and I get to look at it every day. And it's just the beginning of the great museum of low power FM of radio survivor. And and if people want to take a look at this uh, item, there's a photograph on the radio survivor website. Go to our show notes, radio survivor slash podcast. Look for episode number one twenty six. And in case you're confused, can someone explain to me what he sent in the mail? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a breadboard. It's a circuit board. And what does it do? It's a radio station. It's, Yes, yeah, so I, I think I need to disambiguate for a moment here, lest uh, some of our more astute listeners uh, <laughs> wrap us on the knuckles we virtually have, for We it. have listeners who know more about radio than us, and yeah. then I'm, I, am, uh, I am working on behalf of the radio so, listeners who know Matthew, less. Matthew, I believe this transmitter is from a, ra- uh, a Free Radio Berkeley kit. Yeah. So, yeah, so Free Radio Berkeley is an unlicensed radio outfit. When you say unlicensed, I hear pirate. Yeah. They are, but Stephen Dunifer, the guy who created the station, 
would say he's not a pirate. Cool. I like he says, pirates. He's I'm not stealing anything, is yeah. what he would say. Pirates steal things. And there's a long history. Uh, it's been around since the early 90s. Now I don't know, maybe before. And initially was civil disobedience, going on the air because the FCC would not license little tiny radio stations, would not license low-power FM. And there was a, an established need. And you couldn't just go on Amazon in 1992 and buy a transmitter. You couldn't go in the back of a magazine and buy a transmitter. You had to, buy, you had to build one. And so Free Radio Berkeley had workshops. Mm. And sold kits, and still does, in fact, where you can build your own little transmitters. This is exciting. I'm glad you're bringing this up now because I think over the course of today's program, this hour, I definitely want to come back to that moment in history where this was a thing that people wanted to do in the 90s. But Matthew, this transmitter is not one which the FCC has approved. That's for sure. <laughs> so it is It is not one that could be strictly used for low-power FM, oh. meaning if you are a licensed station, you are not to go and build your own little transmitter. An unlicensed low-power FM transmitter from the free Radio Berkeley folks. Yeah, and that it is not legal to use. It no, it's a- not legal to use. <laughs> but, you know – you can be you can be illegal low power FM. Of right? course, yes, right. Yeah. I think people. I think what happens, and and I do understand this, is that folks who are very invested in low power FM don't like it when the moniker sometimes is is made to be more generic, because they're like it's a class of service, right? It's legal, right. it's licensed, and they don't want to be lumped in with yeah. Folks who are or breaking the law either on purpose or accidentally. Sure. Well, they they uh, people who work in the low power FM universe put in tremendous yes, Herculean exactly. amounts of effort to get to where they are to follow the rules. So yes. you can imagine that they want to. Uh, yeah, but this is part of this is part of history, and it is a strong argument to be made that this movement called the micropower radio movement, which mm-hmm. really flowered in the '90s, where people were often using these sorts of homebrew transmitters, put that civil disobedience pressure on the FCC because it became something the FCC had difficulty enforcing, regulating, and controlling. To basically say, okay. Uncle, we will create this class of service where transmitters are inexpensive and everything's easier to get to uh, to create low power FM. Yes, I should say that this is not the first low power FM transmitter made in these circumstances that wasn't difficult to set up. Sue Carpenter, in her book Forty Watts from Nowhere, um, and she is sort of definitely part of this 1990s low power, you know, a pirate, you know, unlicensed radio era. You notice I'm. Jumping around from term to term here, um, uh, she. I think that in her book she talks about how she got one of these um, uh, Dunifer kits and wound up having to get somebody to help her get it up and running. And so that was that sort of part of the fun story oh, of yeah. the 1990s. Yes, indeed. And I mean, it continues today. Although today, uh, frankly, you you on eBay or even Amazon.com, you can buy transmitters. And again, I have to point out. They're not legal to operate in the United States. Can you drive to the Mexico border and cr- and you know <laughs> cross over into Tijuana? I and can't start- talk about. Right. I don't know anything about Mexican or Canadian regulation. Sorry, uh, well, that's so, not something I can talk about. Jennifer waits. I mean, that also makes me think of another topic that we have covered on the Radio Survivor podcast is Part Fifteen broadcasting. So there is some very and what you know what term do we use that um, 
describes it properly, but there's they like some to call very... themselves like like uh, legal unlicensed. Part fifteen is the word they yeah. often use. Hobby it's broadcasting. Very... Yeah, yeah. So there's you know, it's, it's, it's legal. Interesting. It's very low power. Yes, it's interesting. You should mention that because somebody called me, and I, you know, I take the phone calls. Um, and then I usually transmit them to whoever, you know, when, when people call us on our um, Google, our Google voice number, um, I take the phone calls and somebody called up um, from the East Coast and he was like, how do I start a radio station? <laughs> He's like, I, I mean, he was burning up. I could feel it in his voice. How do I start a radio station? I want to get an AM radio license. I said, well, you know, they're not, you know, they're pretty, you know, they're comparatively expensive. Uh, yeah. Did uh, your dad you die know, and leave you a lot of money? A lot of money. How do I, okay, how, you know, when is the next time there's going to be FM radio licenses for nonprofit radio, you know, um, made available? And I explained that, you know, some years ago there was a non-commercial educational rollout and then there was the low power FM, but there isn't a whole lot going on right now. Um, and so he's, he's like, <laughs> what am I going to do? <laughs> so finally I said, well, why don't you listen to our wonderful podcast about part 15 radio and part 15 radio stations allow you to uh, broadcast on, on uh, for a few square blocks. Yeah. And that may not seem a lot, but it's actually um, a, comprehends a whole neighborhood. Depends on where you and, live. And uh, well, he, I think he lived in a, in a, in a rather dense area in the, in the greater New York mm -hmm. um, region. And um, he was so happy. Um, I sent him the I sent him the, I sent him the um, email. I said thank you so much, and he, I'm sure he listened to it. And by now, a whole radio empire is on the beginnings of um, of establishment. I'd love to know more. About I mean, that's station. that's episode number 120, uh, which I have to announce is going to be broadcast on shortwave radio <laughs> on January 27th on WBCQ, the Planet. And I'm not going to roll out all the information because they have like three transmitters that are on different frequencies because it's shortwave radio. And But we'll put it in our show notes. We'll definitely announce it on radiosurvivor.com. But a, a gracious listener who's known as The Dude is sponsoring that episode to be broadcast via shortwave radio yeah. because he was so excited to hear us talk about uh, Part 15 radio, legal unlicensed broadcasting that he wanted uh, more people to hear about it. One of the things, Matthew, that your uh, response, you know, the call that you got to our Radio Survivor voicemail and the disappointment that that caller had finding out that the FCC's windows open and closed uh, just makes me want to um, repeat something that I've learned from working on Radio Survivor that I don't think I knew uh, prior to the podcast launching two years ago. It's just that the FCC's windows for opening up the possibility of new radio stations and then closing those possibilities down is the result of long trends that aren't um, even necessarily cyclical. They, they come and go historically. They're like one-off moments. I mean, yes and you know, no, right, Matthew? Well, you know, what's, what's interesting about the low-power FM story is that so much of that battle took place in the 1990s and in the early 2000s and by the time the low power fm battle finally um was resolved and the fcc began you know congress acted and the fcc began issuing all of those licenses the media landscape had so dramatically changed so that in many instances these fights take place and then years in the future things happen and by then all kinds of media conditions that nobody anticipated 
are functioning. Like the internet. <laughs> yeah, like the yeah, like the internet, like, you know, or satellite uh, radio or, you know, and Spotify and all of these things, you know, suddenly you're dealing with all of these different, you know, conditions. And um, in some instances, that's really complemented low F power FM. In some instances, it's really yeah. uh, made it difficult for um, the organizers of low power FM radio stations who have received these licenses to generate interest from young people. Um, and so that's one of the most interesting sort of uh, qualities of this whole thing. And one thing I want to point out historically, in the 20th century, there was no sense of – there was not these windows. Mm -hmm. In the 20th century, you went, you looked for an open frequency, and you submitted a license application for that frequency. But it was up to you to prove to the FCC that a station could go there and it wouldn't interfere and you would do had to do all the legwork on the engineering and all of that. But it was definitely you just submitted applications when you thought there was a frequency you thought you wanted. The airwaves had more open space. The airwaves definitely had more open space. In the 21st century, the FCC moved to this windowing situation mm. in which they say, okay, we'll accept applications for this, you know, for these three weeks, for these types of stations, and for these three weeks, for these types of stations. But that's a recent phenomenon historically, but right, in part, it's due to the fact that uh, the airways are much more congested in most major metropolitan areas like New York, San Francisco, Philadelphia. There aren't open frequencies. And low power FM was this unique opportunity where some little spaces were carved out for a particular class of community radio. But again, very unique. And because of the fact that most of these little gaps have been filled in so many places. The likelihood of there being another opening, especially in places like San Francisco or Chicago, it's very low. Like, And we don't know when and if it'll happen. The FCC yeah. hasn't said when this will happen again. So when people write us, when can mm -hmm. I get an LPFM, we have to really say, well, sorry, we don't know. I think an important thing to point out, though, right, and then people say, we, we, we started the conversation with, you better have a rich uncle who left you a lot of money. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can buy a radio station. Licenses can be traded. You can, yes. And, and when you buy a radio station, in most cases, you're not buying a transmitter, an antenna, and a studio. What you're buying is that license. Yeah. Yes. Right. And, and licenses used to be, even for commercial radio, free. So you were essentially – something which you got free from the government could be worth millions of dollars down the line. Now, uh, at least commercial licenses are now you, – you pay something for them. Um, if you get a new license, but you can go buy one. You can buy a non-commercial license even. So if you want a radio station, get together a group of people and figure out how to raise money. Yeah. You cannot buy a low power FM license though. Wow. They may not be traded. Interesting. Yeah. And, and, and that was set up specifically to stop, to keep them people basically from speculating in them. Yeah. That makes sense. I keep reading that, you know, some of the big, big consortiums, the components of the clear channel empire, you know, the iHeart media empire and um, cumulus um, are going to sell a whole bunch of radio stations as soon as they figure out their, their bankruptcy fund. Mm. Um, These and, are the biggest uh, radio owners in the United States. Yeah. yeah. Also yes, a, bigger, a result and, of policies set, set forth yeah. in the 1990s. And, and, you know, likely again, they're probably not going to be sold to uh, an individual. They'll probably be sold to smaller radio companies because those are probably right. the only people who have the capital necessary. So we get this question. How can I start a radio station, right? And so we just sort of said, well, you know, right now, unless you have a rich uncle, there's not currently an opening to apply for a radio station from the FCC. So you'd have to buy one. Or you could start 
a legal unlicensed station that goes a few blocks using part 15. But there is the internet, isn't there? Yes, there is the internet and they can um, start on um, an internet, you know, they can do v- various venues and they can create their streaming radio station. And then of course they have to deal with copyright issues. <laughs> yeah. um, you, 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 know. you owe money to songwriters, but you know, so Jennifer, it, it, isn't it the case though that a lot of colleges and universities have, used internet radio as a way to expose their uh, students to, to broadcasting before and after low power and FM or, you know, with, especially in times when maybe a license wasn't available to them. Isn't that true? Yeah, no. And I mean, some of the questions we get are actually from people at colleges who want to start an internet station. So, you know, we have, you know, people who um, don't understand the college radio landscape and think that, college radio has gone by the wayside, um, don't realize that internet-only college radio stations are starting up all the time. And, and, why, and why are they starting up all the time? I mean, so, you know, uh, why would that be an attractive thing to a college or university? I mean, I, I think it, it's something that's more accessible and, and seems easier at the outset to many people. Um, you know, you don't have to find a licensing window to apply for FM or AM. And, you know, it, it's just something that doesn't require as much equipment or space or regulation. Although, of course, there is regulation with, with online radio and you have to make sure that you're following various rules and paying various fees. But it the the amount of time it takes to get a station up and running is much quicker than with a terrestrial station. I wonder if these college radio stations that are online only have ever realized or thought about this Part 15 uh, opening, that they could be an online station for outside of the campus and a Part 15 radio station for on campus. Well, well some ha- some have, yeah. That's great. <laughs> and yeah, and, and it's a long history, right? I mean, the early col- many early college radio stations were called Carrier Current, Right, exactly. where they broadcast things over the electrical current in the buildings, and those that's even, under the even, Part 15 even rules. Even the metal pipes, I've yeah. learned from Matthew Lazar's post to Radio Survivor. And some may still exist, right? It was Brooklyn College, which may or may not still have a transmitter going. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot of mysteriousness around that. And, and actually in Denver, um, I visited you know, a couple of college radio operations in Denver, and they were talking about starting up basically a part 15, um, station and, and they realized their campus is actually pretty sprawling. And under those rules, they could broadcast to the campus, which actually covers quite a bit of space. So part 15 can be sort of a coup as far as reaching people on your campus. Um, it's harder to figure out and ascertain if, Carrier current is still happening on many campuses. Um, you know, equipment might be there that isn't being utilized. It's hard to tell. Um, but it was exciting to hear about an instance of a station that was going to start up a Part 15 yeah, wow. broadcast. And, yeah, the whole idea is basically if you can keep the signal on campus and you're not radiating uh. off campus any more than what the rules would allow, then you would be legal. So if you have a lot of land, essentially. You, you could go bigger. If you're mm-hmm. a co- there's a college radio carve out in the part 15 rules. Is yeah, I don't have the rules in front of me, <laughs> so I can't tell you that it is a college radio carve out. But in effect, 
such a carve out exists. <laughs> I think that's what we want to say. And again, I'm Parsing. certain somebody will email us podcast at radio survivor.com to, to, to correct uh, us here working off a of recollection rather than uh, research in, in front of my face. Uh, but you know, and essentially what you're talking about, Jennifer is the ability for them to have a little AM or FM radio station that covers their campus uh, right. that without having to get a license provided that you get a block or so off campus, you can't hear it any longer. Wow. So it requires and a as, little engineering savvy, to say the least. And as always, you know, I'm very interested in these types of stations. So I would love it if people reached out to us to tell us about how they're using Part 15 on college campuses, because uh, we want to know a lot more about that. Yeah, absolutely. I would be interested in in, in um, disgruntled students who, who who use it on their particular dorm area. <laughs> Uh, oh yeah, know, dorm radio. Dorm radio, you know, dorm part fifteen radio. I can see particular disgruntled formations um, at the campus where I teach, um, UC Santa Cruz, <laughs> um, using it for various contexts. I have to go. Matthew, Matthew Lassar. Thank you so much for joining us, Matthew Lassar, our hybrid highbrow producer and frequent contributor. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, folks. See you soon. Bye bye. Well, you're listening to Radio Survivor, the sound of strong communities, and I'm Eric Klein. I'm joined by my co-host, Paul Reismandel, and Jennifer Waits is with us as well. And we are, we are digging through our listener mailbag, our frequently asked questions. And really, the main one that really floats our boat, especially today, is people keep asking, how do I start my own radio station? So on the show, we have been answering that to the best of our ability. Uh, short answer, it ain't easy, but there are ways... And um, Jennifer, you had something you wanted to add to what Matthew Lassar just said. Well, yeah, Matthew was was thinking about, you know, wondering out loud about his own campus at UC Santa Cruz and if if students might create their own alternative radio stations, maybe in their dorms. And and I just wanted to point out that, you know, in the history of carrier current campus only college radio, uh, there were schools that had multiple radio stations. So one one. One dorm might have had one station, another dorm, you know, think of these massive student population schools, um, which is fascinating to me that you could have all these sort of competing radio stations on a campus. So I, yeah, I would be, I would be intrigued to hear if, if we have that sort of broadcasting going on today where we have different broadcast outlets and we might really in the form, you know, there could be a numerous podcasts on a campus for sure. You know, and it, it's relatively easy to get a Part 15 transmitter these days, too, a legal low-power transmitter. Uh, yeah, I mean, technology has marched on. I mean, people use them in their cars, right? If you're, mm-hmm. if you're using one of these little uh, FM transmitters to connect your, uh, your smartphone to your car's radio because maybe you don't have an auxiliary input or you broke it, um, that is a Part 15 FM transmitter. Yeah. I mean, forgive me if I'm speaking out of school, but isn't this the world that we live in where – Everything under the sun is being produced cheaper and more uh, numerously, mostly in, uh, in China. China. Yeah, the Part Fifteen equipment is available on the internet in in quantities and at prices that are really unprecedented. But you have to do a little bit of due diligence because uh, it's there's not being done. Too. Well, there's garbage, <laughs> and and there are also uh, some of these units 
are not part of 15 certified, meaning the, sure. the FCC did not certify them. They may be broadcasting with more power than you're permitted. And so it's caveat emptor at the very least, meaning you know you might be breaking the law. And if you're not careful and you're in choosing your frequency, you – could be messing up somebody else's reception, and you yeah. shouldn't do that. Which matters. Yeah. So you you know, uh, it's there are some companies that make ones that are approved by the FCC, and maybe we'll throw those into the show notes so right. people can see what they are at radiosurvivor.com slash podcast. That reminds me of, I mean, I was casually uh, supporting Pirate Radio earlier on this uh, program today, and we should say that our values here at Radio Survivor, I'm just going to speak them out loud, and, and Jennifer and Paul, you can you can say your own values. Our values are that unlicensed Pirate Radio is a fun, wonderful thing that contributes to the community of radio, unless it uh, hurts people. Or uh, gets in the way of people's think, enjoyment of their actual other favorite. I would put radio in a stations. corrective there. I would put in a corrective. Uh, I, I think what I would say is that we understand that uh, unlicensed by radio is often a reaction to a media landscape which is still not diverse enough, and there are a lot of communities. Uh, within communities, there are folks from uh, of various backgrounds who are not represented in media who do not have access to the airwaves and do not access to broadcast. And yet there's numerous people uh, in that part of the world. Uh, you know, we are, we are speaking vaguely about uh, like Miami or New York where there's like Haitian populations in cities. That... Or, or Hasidic Jewish populations ah. even. Uh, yeah, it, 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 it runs the gamut who don't have access and take the means into their own hands. And it's a kind of an escape valve. And then there's also a history of people doing it out of civil disobedience, right. saying, the, I can't as, get a license, but I'm going to do it anyway. As we talked about in Berkeley earlier. In yeah, so it, it, it can be fun, but, but at the same time, right, I mean, it can be a nuisance <laughs> at the very least, uh, you know, and, and when not done well. And there's a lot, uh, a lot of things to overcome. So I think we're not here to, to, uh, to promote or tell people they should be doing it. And I think we've done a lot to, to kind of explain uh, the, the sort of pluses and minuses, but we understand that, that people do do it. That's why we talk about, yeah. say, Part 15, uh, where it is illegal. And there's you know, a website, hobbybroadcaster.net, um, where you can learn a lot more about how you can do it legally. Yeah. Um, but you know, don't think you're going to broadcast 10 miles away. Right, you need to understand that this is a limited thing, but it is there for you. I'm reminded, though, of my favorite episode of 2017 of the Radio Survivor Show that uh, we spoke with um, a reporter, uh, a documentary uh, photographer who traveled throughout Argentina, uh, documenting the construction of radio stations that were. It, depen- kinda... it depended on who you asked. Well, it was gray area. So they this is Nita Pouchard, Sarah. Nita uh, Pouchard, Sarah. In Argentina. Under the previous administration, under the Kirchner administration, they passed a law creating a community radio service. There was a change in administration, and the law was never put into action. So stations went on the air without permission that kind of were supposed yeah. to have been licensed. So, again, civil disobedience, right? Yeah. Saying, well, we were promised community radio. We didn't get it, but we're going to do it anyway. Which, which is an echo uh, similar to what happened in the 1990s here in the United States with a Except movement. they weren't promised. Yes, but with a movement <laughs> that, that resulted in legal, licensed, sure. low-power FM radio began with people agitating for the airwaves, and uh, uh, some of those pe- some and of those I, tactics were unlicensed. And I, and I just want to make one last note on this topic of how, can I have my own radio station, and maybe we'll, we'll move on to some other interesting questions we get. It, another 
class of questions, because mostly we're not talking about you know just single emails. These are whole classes of questions we get. Has been, do you think the FCC would approve this other like service? Oh right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's now low power FM, which which you know allows you to have a hundred watts. People of are power. dreaming big with that question. And so we get questions that kind of go in two directions. Initially, when L- L- low power FM was proposed back in 2000, the the FCC proposed that there might be a 10 watt service. So an even tinier little station never came to fruition. Hmm. Um, and people ask, well, do you think the FCC would respond to that? The other side of it is, do you think they would create a higher power service? So maybe 100 watts is fine in the middle of San Francisco, but not so great uh, in Bend, Oregon, where maybe you've got more land to cover. It's a little more spread out. Right. Uh, so, so make it easier for little stations in more rural places to, to reach their audience. Yeah. Out on you know out out in the outskirts of town. Could we have twenty two hundred fifty watt stations, which has also been proposed to the FCC? And and the thing to understand is that low power FM was a proposal made by individuals, right? Sent into the FCC that the FCC then acted upon. Now there was more to it than just that. It wasn't you know there was a lot of of activism, lots of people putting in long hours talking with the FCC to get them to take it seriously. You can make a proposal to the FCC, and that's always our answer. You, of course, can, but you know, you can make the proposal. I think what people's question is, do you think it'll be successful? And of course, I am not a soothsayer. I, I am, not, I am not Karnak the Magnificent. We cannot tell you what will or will not be successful, but we can look at the history and say these proposals. For 10 watt and 250 watt stations were not successful in the past. So in order to be successful, you're going to have to do a lot of work to figure out Build how, to a answer, movement. how to answer the question. The other question that comes up is, do you think low power AM could happen? That's come over the transom many times. So take a mirror service of low power FM, to, you know, small stations serving communities and move it to the AM dial. And the answer is about the same. You can propose it. It has been proposed to the FCC. I've written about it. I'll put notes uh, in our show notes to it. Uh, And the FCC failed to act on it is essentially what it comes down to. The current momentum, as best I can tell, again, by the work being done here at Radio Survivor, is that the AM band belongs to large interests. And and the future of what's going to happen to AM is mostly being dictated by those interests. And if people sure, if, yeah. if if the people of the United States of America would rather the AM band of the F, of of radio uh sound more like community radio, there's work to be done. Yeah, definitely work to be done. And this is Radio Survivor, the Sound of Strong Communities. Uh you can learn about all the things we're talking about on today's show at our website, radiosurvivor.com slash podcast. And and this is a listener mailbag show. Uh you can submit questions. And if you'd like us to answer them on the podcast, let us know. And we will do our best to do so. Send them to podcast at radiosurvivor.com. Many of these shows that we do are inspired by listener questions or suggestions. Um, including the part 15 one we did that we've talked about several times now, uh, was definitely listeners suggesting that's a topic we should cover. And so we try to, we try to go ahead and do that. Part We'd 15, love to hear from you. Part 15 means a tiny radio station you can do in your bedroom. Yep, uh, basically. Just for the people on your block. And legally. 
Yes. And legally. Or in your car, just for your car. Just for your car, yep. My name is Paul Riesenau. With me is Eric Klein. And Jennifer Waits joins us via Skype from San Francisco. And so, Jennifer, one of the questions uh, that we've got a lot since that New York Times article, but we've gotten periodically, has been, where do I find a list of all these low-power <laughs> FM or college radio stations well, that you guys talk and about? And not only that, but maybe I put my foot in my mouth last week when I said out loud that there are no lists because uh, I would like to know – I would like to know uh, – all I want to read down the line, low-power FM stations across the United States. I want to know where, uh, what their call letters are so I can Google them and see if I can listen to them and enjoy that the, – their just enjoy what they're putting out on the airwaves. And I said uh, that no one had put that list together. So Jennifer, uh, is he right? Did he put his foot in his mouth? <laughs> yes, sir. I mean, the, yeah, there are ways. It's a little bit easier to find all the low power FM license stations. And and you could even search the FCC database under that service to find them. Um, and then there's a great website called LPFM database that breaks out all of the LPFM stations um, in existence today from both licensing windows. And it's break, broken down by state. Hmm. So you can look by state and and peruse and and he has links if um, stations have websites he has links um, so you can learn more about them so it's actually pretty user friendly compared with uh, searching the FCC database which requires uh, specialized training <laughs> yeah, research skills Pr- pretty much um, so that's a good resource and actually one of our listeners what even was, what was the resource that you just mentioned what's that website LPFM database. And Do you know we'll the actual link- URL? Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. Okay. Um, uh, Survivor.com episode number 126. Correct. And a listener even pointed out after last week's episode that uh, we should be sure to remember LPFM database. Um, so that is a great resource. Um, college radio, I get this question all the time about is there a list of all the college radio stations and and – I also get the question, how many college radio stations are there? Um, which is really hard to ascertain. You know, LPFM at least is one defined service. And so we have a finite number of LPFM licensed radio stations. College radio encompasses licensed FM radio stations. It encompasses some AM stations and online stations. And, and some are commercial 15. and some are non-commercial. Yeah, yeah so it's... It, it covers a lot of different categories. Not to um, mention that, Jennifer Waits, you would like to include the history of college radio in that list, I am sure. And, and some stations, uh, they, change, they change over the generations. Right. So they who do you include go. in the list? And how do you define college radio, which is, <laughs> you know, debate. It's up for debate. Um, and so I am creating my own private list behind the scenes, which I I've chatted with Paul about it. And, and maybe we'll, we'll start to get a list in progress up on radio survivor. Is this something you want to see? Let us know. Let us know. Yeah. Jennifer, show us your list, <laughs> but you, well, have, and you it, have your reasons to, to not have it published at the moment. Well, I mean, it, it it's also incomplete. Um, right. it takes a lot of time. Um, I, you know, I visit radio stations all over the country. So, so let's say when I was visiting um, Arkansas, 
I did a whole bunch of research and and pretty much figured out what I think is a complete list of college radio stations in Arkansas hey. in the course of planning my trip. One fiftieth um, of the way there. But you know, I don't have the time or resources to to do that for every state and and so it's sort of But this- maybe we can crowdsource, right? I mean this is this is the wonders of the internet. I as I told Jennifer, the internet is the home of incomplete projects that will never be completed. Mm-hmm. But that we all benefit from the efforts and 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 from them getting out there, right? And and I think archive.org is like one of those projects. It sort of aims to store all the world's knowledge on the internet and it will never be complete. But the fact that they're trying (laughs) turns it into a a great resource. And I think, you know, maybe Jennifer, this, this would be, you know, if we find a way to make it easy for people to submit information to you. So it's not a big pain (laughs) to sort through maybe, you know, as we figure out a mechanism for that, uh, that is something we'll be able to more easily put online um, and, and have out there. I think, you know, one of the, the reasons why this is difficult is because radio in the United States is is in some ways very unique in the world. Radio in the United States has this history where it was created to be private rather than public. Hmm. Not so it's not state media. It, not state media, not right? The BBC, radio not, in the not UK the Canadian broadcasting equaled BBC yeah. for decades and decades. And it's a little unique, not utterly unique, but it's a little unique in the United States. They have there's far there's almost there's practically no college radio in the UK. It's so small compared to the United States. Uh, compared to the United States, yeah. it's small and recent. Yeah. So yeah, it, it has a much shorter history, and and there's also interesting stuff. Um, you know, I've seen it firsthand in Ireland, where a lot of student radio stations have these temporary terrestrial licenses for only maybe two weeks out of the year. Um, So it's a, it's an entirely different system sometimes as well. Yeah. Yeah. And so for the most part, college radio or community radio in most parts of the world uh, outside of the United States and Canada to some extent um, and, and to some extent Mexico as well um, are really recent Mm -hmm. and more specifically licensed because I believe in the UK and Ireland, for instance, they specifically license – they say this is campus radio. It's specifically a service. So at the federal level, there's a list, <laughs> and ah. the, right? They specifically license you to be a college radio station with certain requirements, and there's a list. And the FCC does not care. The FCC sees it as a non-commercial license. It happens to be owned by a university. And if they want to air sermons all day, that's fine. If they want to hand it over to, to students, it's fine. You know, if they want to air lectures, it's fine. The FCC doesn't care as long as you comply uh-huh. with the rules. So, so the thing that I think of in my brain when I think of college radio, which is a, a place where music enthusiasts, youthful musical enthusiasts share uh, and generate sort of an alternate culture – to what's coming out of uh, mainstream commercial radio, that that in itself is an accident of 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 history. Jennifer, what would you say? An accident of history. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, it, you might you might stumble upon college radio and notice that this college radio station is like that college radio station. You know, you might move from one city to another, as I did in my youth, and say, oh. Here's the here's the college radio station where uh, students and former students play music that they love, and that's what college radio is. 
To a certain degree. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> and it's like that. But it's a popular impression, but right? Might, I mean, and, I think when people I, think of college radio, that's what they think And of. in my 20s, that I might is, have assumed, like, exactly. uh, this is a service that is provided by universities throughout the United States. Uh, this is intentional. Mm. Yeah. Got it. And, and Yeah. I mean, it is what I think of as college radio, but having visited so many college radio stations... That's a portion of it. Yeah. Right. You know, some some are really training stations um, where students don't have that kind of musical freedom. Um, so so it varies. But, yeah, the popular yeah. But then conception at those, at those training stations, those students are uh, developing uh, more resume skills. They're building up a resume to work. In radio. Yes. That's the idea. Yeah. So it's um, it's all over the map. Um but yeah, that's what many of us think of as college radio is that sort of music discovery type station with, you know, students controlling uh, the programming. Um, but it's, yeah, it's more diverse than that. That's part of my, like, my mission is to kind of explore all kinds of college radio stations, in, including those that don't fit with our stereotype of college radio. And to your point, Eric, I think what you're saying is that it's not that someone sat down and planned out a service where college students would share their obscure musical tastes with the brighter yeah, world. This would fit into the media landscape of the United what, States it, very it, well. I think it is fair to say it is an accidental development. And I think this is a very important point when thinking about not just radio, but about media in general. We often take the, the landscape as we see it as something that somehow was inevitable or designed. This is how I grew up. It's always been this way. Right. And that somehow, you know, for instance, in the United States, commercial radio is predominant. There are more commercial stations than any other type of stations. This is not true in the UK. This is not true in many other countries. They have entirely different systems. So neither is natural. Neither just happens. Neither is just the natural result of having radio. It's a result of all sorts of big decisions. Yeah. Policy decisions on the part of uh, broadcast regulators and and parliaments and congresses and little decisions where at some radio station, you know, in like 1971, in some college radio station, uh, some student broke from pattern, right? Because, I mean, Jennifer, uh, you know, in talking to you about the history of various stations and you, that you've shared with us, I mean, it seems like there were stations on many, many college radio stations where they would have, well, here is like the drama hour, and here is a fairly tightly programmed, uh, you know, light classical hour. And that may or may not have been uh, actually programmed by the student, where it may have been more like a, a BBC kind of deal where this person is the presenter, and often that presenter had to be a boy <laughs> and women were not permitted. And it was, it was run in a much less uh, – it was a much more structured. Sure. You're talking about the 1940s and 50s. 60s even. 60s. Yeah. And that at some point, you know, there's this transition to the students are running the show in a much more uh, freeform sort of way. But that, again, that wasn't inevitable. It wasn't planned in. It, it just sort of yeah. happened. Yeah. And and changes in technology, um, you know, I, I think about student radio at Haverford College in the 1920s, which is, you know, before they had turntable, electric turntables that right. they could use. So, you know, a lot of it was live and they were trying to do like very high quality. This is the early days of radio, so there aren't really that many models out there. They're trying to do sort of high quality programming um, in their eyes 
And so a lot of it is live music, you know, presentations of live music performances or lectures, um, and, you know, live sporting events at colleges over the years, educational radio was a big component of many of the airwaves. Yeah. Many stations on college campuses, you know, maybe not student run stations, but campuses, um, you know, stations run out of academic departments on campuses, you know, did this educational programming, which is like extension programming where you're learning things over the air. So there've been a lot of ways that radio has been used on a campus. And, and, and yeah, it's true that there wasn't, you know, college radio right out of the gate wasn't like free free form craziness necessarily. Um, And, and often like the early, the early folks involved, the students involved in college radio in the very early days were often scientists and tinkerers. Um, so there was this moment and, and I've read about it, um, when looking at sort of the history of specific college radio stations, there's often this moment where you had a bunch of sort of tech people, and then you had some music oriented people coming into the station and, and how does that station change um, and morph when you have people with, who are more interested in the technology side of it. And then some folks who are interested in, you know, the programming music side of radio. Yeah. I mean, that's the chaotic development of this medium. And when you, and, and it maps well, when you think about other media, I mean, it's the chaotic development of podcasting. It's the chaotic development of online video. It was no guarantee that there would be YouTube stars. Right. That happened because of, particular decisions that happened in this case it was mostly non-governmental in video and in podcasting but decisions get made and and no one at the time knows what the consequences are going to be but it i think what it's important for us to remember is that it's not written it is not inevitable that things would be as they are because when we keep that in mind it allows us to imagine that it could be different that if there are things we'd like to see corrected if there are ills to be addressed, if there are inequities that we can equal, uh, that might still be possible, that we're not simply under the foot of yeah. of destiny, but that we still can write the next destiny. And that means whether you're a student who wants to see college radio uh, at her at her college, if you're somebody who would like to start a station of its particular type, Maybe there's still an opportunity. It might be an uphill battle. Yeah. It might be difficult. The, bat- the lessons may be hard won, but it also can happen. You can also uh, you can dream up a very new kind. I mean, not only can you think about the entire radio landscape and dream something big, uh, and try to organize something big so that the future is a. Uh, is radically different here in, um, in on the radio or on the internet. But you can also come up with your show that no one else has thought of and uh, do your best to become a part of existing stations. Uh, show up humbly and ask what, how you become yeah. a producer at a station. Start small and then uh, work your way up to your to your big plans to change radio forever. And that's often part of our answer. As I mentioned, you know, we are, we are answering sort of common listener questions we get at Radio Survivor um, that come to us, uh, or reader questions as well, that come to us uh, to our email. And we do our best to answer them. And that question, how do I get a radio station? Or, or can I get a low-power FM station? Which, at this point, you cannot apply for one. Usually, the tail end of the advice is, and by the way, 
look around in your community because there very well may be a new low-power FM station that really could use a volunteer right now that really yeah. could use – you know, people often – I think, you know, they have the dream they want their own station. Um, and that's very rarely a reality. We usually have to work with others. And it's nice to work with others because then you know you'll be listened to more likely. Jennifer. And well, and with colleges that are looking to start a new radio station, you know, if there happens to be a new low power FM in their town, um, there've been some really interesting partnerships between colleges and community oriented low power FM stations, um, and high schools too. So I think a lot of new low power FM stations are really searching for content. Um, and, and so that can be a great way to develop content and also develop a partnership and, and, and have an expansion of college radio too. And, and if you're listening to us on the radio, uh, the station that you're hearing us on may also very well be able to use your help. And if you want to kind of find out what's going on in your local community, I know a place where you you're, you got a good chance of finding out if maybe there's a low-power FM or, other, or college radio station or other radio station in your community that might need help. Where do you think that might be? Are you going to say the library? Bob? I was going to say I was gonna, the library. I was going to recommend to people that if they lived in a community without a station – or if they they're not if the station that they have the opportunity to volunteer is not does not their cup of tea, go to the library, put up a ask permission, uh, talk to a librarian, put up a flyer, and start a group project. Maybe maybe a podcast needs to be launched in your community, and maybe you could launch it at the library. Yeah, or a a, a music listening appreciation <laughs> society. You know, if you exchange uh, private. Uh, mixtapes there's no there's no copyright violations on that score and if you make your private mixtapes and like them enough to share them uh they are licensed you can you can throw them up on mixcloud where we know that music licensing is taken care of so there's lots of ways to to get together with other people yeah and, and make things and and there are now libraries that own low power fm stations and it's true that support podcasts and you might or you might try out your local uh community access television public access television which some of them now have radio stations as well but also there's opportunities to get involved in also in, in community media there's a lot of opportunities out there and and so i can understand the dream of wanting to own your own station but there's also uh sometimes all you really want to do ultimately is it, it's hard to be uh, responsible for 168 hours of programming 168 a week. hours of programming so a sometimes week. it's easier just to be responsible for one yeah. or two focus <laughs> exactly exactly there's a lot of different ways to uh to scratch that itch uh, jennifer here's one last question i'd like you to address that we that we that we get frequently and you know as we mentioned before you do tours of radio stations, principally college radio stations, but you've done a lot of community radio stations too. And, and by people, doing tours, we mean that Jennifer Waits visits, visits stations. Them, uh, talks right. to the principals, takes pictures, yeah. writes them up, often gets uh, interviews that she shares with us on, on this show. And people say, hey, do you know about this station, my station, or the station I love, or the station I used to volunteer at when I was in college? How about, will you do a tour of my station, of this station I love? Jennifer, <laughs> will you do that tour? <laughs> I love I love getting invitations, and I wish I could go everywhere. Um, but yeah, I would encourage people to invite me to visit their station. I, I love 
I love being invited. Um, it may be years from now before I visit, or it might be next week. You just never know. It's really dependent on where I happen to be traveling. Um, but yeah, maybe we even need to come up with a form so I can save all that information, you know, more effectively, but planning, we're planning, submit your, well, you know, it would help (laughs) us make this list, Jennifer, right? I know. Right. You just tick a little box that would say, and please come visit. And and I want to say, you know, um, that it takes resources to go and visit these stations and, uh, radio survivor is a listener and reader-supported enterprise. So you can help make these tours happen. You can contribute to helping make this happen. Go to radiosurvivor.com slash support to learn how you can you can help us do that. Um, of course, Jennifer, nothing is going to stop you. I know you're going to continue yeah, to do but do these tours because it is your passion and it is, it is uh, such an amazing public service that you've done in a service to history. Uh, how many stations are we up to now? Are you up to? I th- uh, I think it's like 143. 143. 143. I, I wonder stations. how many well, people that have been written. Yeah. And how many of you actually? So, in, so there's a bunch in the queue, right? <laughs> I mean, there's probably. I'm I'm pretty caught up actually. Oh wow. Okay. Uh, so, uh, I might have like four in the queue, and then there's some stations that I visited so long ago and never wrote up, so I have to revisit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've, I've, you know, I've been to more than 150 stations all over the place. Wow. I wonder how many people who, who either don't work for the FCC or, or, uh, or a radio offcom in the UK or a radio authority uh, and, and don't work in like established radio, don't work for like NPR, don't work for sure. iHeart Media, Clear Channel. Or like as some kind of salesperson. Who, right? Yeah, like, right. Or, sales order, who or have people been, in... I think about bands or a lot bands, of bands yeah. have probably, probably been to. outside of yeah. this sort of space. How but many people have been to that many stations? D- Jennifer waits is a journalist who visits radio stations. Yeah, and, right. And right. we, we don't like to, uh, overdo grand statements of fact here on radio survivor. I do. And then Jennifer waits and Paul Reese Mandel, uh, push back on me, but here, here it goes. Jennifer waits is the Be dubious of claims. Jennifer waits is the number one, uh, radio station journalist in the country. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I've been to a lot of radio stations. You've been, and 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 the world is and a better place yeah. for it. I mean, just just think about this, Jennifer. Imagine if when you started your your first blog, Spinning Indie, where you first uh, started documenting these tours and documenting college radio. Imagine if at that moment you had been able to find what you just what you're doing now. If what if it had already existed how that would have changed. I mean, maybe you'd still do the tours, right? But it would have yeah. really changed how you could write about and observe public radio, uh, college radio, I'm sorry. And, and you know, it really changes people's ability to to dig in and research this. Well, yeah. And I mean, part of the reason I started that blog, Spinning Indie, was because there wasn't really coverage of college radio. So... Mm-hmm. Of any kind, you know, people weren't writing about what was happening in college radio at all. So having these very elaborate tours, that's not even something that was in my imagination. You know, and my first few tours had maybe, you know, less than five photos in them. And and now they've become these monstrous beasts full of, you know. Well, you started off just with by making phone calls, right? And and sending emails, virtual radio tours. Uh, Well, it was a combination. So I had... 
I had a virtual series and then I had a station visit series. So um, I had this other series, my 50 state tour, where my goal was to have like an email interview with a station in all 50 states. Mm-hmm. And and that that petered out after I think maybe 12. Um, there's, there's still time, Jennifer. There's still, there's still time, but it's, you know, every station visit is so, um, revealing and interesting and I I never know what's going to excite me about it. Um, you know, there are some recent ones that we should really talk about on the podcast that, Mm -hmm. that turned up some fascinating history in Chicago. Um, I, I visited WIIT at Illinois, um, Institute of Technology, Mm -hmm. which is in this like really interesting building architecturally, which, um, was mesmerizing. So it, you know, it's the spaces fascinate me. The people fascinate me, the history. Not to mention Uh, I learned from you that when you return to stations, you've already visited, they change. You go back. Yeah. I mean, not as often as I'd like, but I've, I've visited stations that have, you know, moved to new locations Um, and so that, that's interesting to see, you know, the transformation, but yeah, I, you know, I'm plotting as we speak future tours, including a high school radio station tour, which is, you know, uh, another, another passion of mine because it's even more under, under covered, Mm -hmm. (laughs) more undercover scene is high school radio. I would say that most people in the United States are unaware that high school Radio is even a possibility, and, let alone and, and historically has been and significant. To exist. Yeah. yeah, she can't stop, and she <laughs> won't stop. <laughs> it's true. And Jennifer, you said you had some follow up from our episode uh, last week, number one twenty five, uh, when we talked to Ken and Jeff from Radio Free America website, which uh, indexes uh, the streams of a lot of community public and college radio stations and offers online archives from those stations uh you wanted to uh, you wanted to add something to that conversation i well i loved that you dug into the history of radio free america and there's some great um anecdotes in there about the syndicated radio show that radio free america produced um back in the, in the 1980s, early yeah yeah early 1980s yeah and one of my it, life's goals now is just to listen to those is episodes to find those records, yeah, yeah i want to hear those hour-long uh, alternative college radio radio shows from the early 80s well and i remember you know i remember getting syndicated i started in college radio after that point but i remember getting um lps of syndicated shows and and i found one that i have um so I had one from 1987, Music View, the hippest half hour on America's airwaves. Mm. And it was a weekly half hour magazine program that had interviews in music. So it sounds similar to what Radio Free and, and America was doing. did it get doing. played on the air is my question. Did totally. You, oh, it did. Because I'm, I'm thinking it calls itself the hippest, which means immediately it's not. <laughs> Well, and um, I think it's like some forty-year-old executive is writing this copy. Oh, well, yeah, the copy is cheesy. Um, And uh, this, uh, the piece of paper in with the record said, "Music View is produced and hosted by John Fox, former program director at WNYU FM, the New York University student-run station." Cool. It also features a weekly news editorial feature by Jack Rabbit alternative editor for rock pool and frequent contributor to the village voice and I, interview. I, I know of Jack rabbit. Wow. So yeah, There's that word again. So, uh, 
Jennifer, can but you can you post about it? Can you can you stick this up on uh, on our website at radiosurvivor.com? Just a quick little post. Yeah, I'm I'm including some of this in in the college radio watch. Um, oh, wonderful! So that will be posted. A link to that. Um, but as another amazing thing about this Music View show, it was sponsored exclusively by the Columbia Record and Tape Club. Oh, Columbia <laughs> for, like, House! For those of you Gen Xers, um, you might remember that. Um, and that's how that's how a lot of people would get kind of a supply of of new music. You would yeah. subscribe to this music subscription service and get sent music in the mail. But you would. But the reason why you did it is because the first offer you couldn't refuse. It was like twelve tapes or records for a penny. Exactly. And then you had to buy like twelve more at yeah, like and then double retail up, price. You were hooked up to the main line <laughs> without any escape clause and they would and send the, them to the, you and right the cds and, and, kept coming and it was right they would send them to you and you had to return a card if you didn't want to get it and then of course then they would bill you for it and, yeah, and send a, bill, you, a collector after you i if bet you, didn't you the pay. wikipedia <laughs> article for the columbia music houses yeah is, that uh, that is that is a wonderful find there jennifer so yeah we look forward to uh seeing that and reading about it in college radio watch which happens every friday at radiosurvivor.com. You can look at the archives if you go to radiosurvivor.com and click on College Radio. We, we try to make it easy. This has been so much fun. I'm so happy that we got a chance to uh, to cover this topic of the, the frequently asked questions of Radio Survivor, which is primarily... Uh, how do I get my own radio station? <laughs> and how do I find radio stations? That's how we spent the last hour is trying to answer that question. Right. Short answer, it's really hard. Maybe you should go find a radio station that already exists. And we answered that question as well here on the episode today. And I'm oh, I guess we could have just done a two-minute podcast then, Eric. I don't know why we spent all this time. Well, that's radio. You know, you, this is the two-minute version, and then there's the hour-long version. That's right. Uh, for people who have that. Time. Well, and thank you, everyone, for listening. And, of course, if you're listening to us on the radio, please keep supporting the radio station where you hear us. If you can't catch us on the air, we're available as a podcast. Go to radiosurvivor.com slash podcast and listen to every episode. We'd really appreciate it if you would subscribe in iTunes or in Radio Public or in Stitcher, or in Overcast, or Pocket Cast. There's a lot of ways to get podcasts. And if this all sounds like gibberish to you, on our website, we've got instructions to help you kind of navigate that landscape because you could just get Radio Survivor automatically every week on your computer or smartphone, and we'd really appreciate it if you do that. And of course, look, we might do this again. So send us your questions about radio, about community media, podcasting. The history of radio. The history of all these media. Yeah. We'd love to, uh, if we don't know the answer, we'll try and go find it out. Our crack team of researchers who <laughs> who are all on this podcast. We'll, we'll go, uh, <laughs> we'll hit the stacks, we'll hit the databases, we'll hit the, we'll hit the Wikipedia and we'll come up with answers. Send them to us, podcast at radiosurvivor.com. Jennifer Waits. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Happy to be here. Uh, and a thank you to Matthew Lassar, who uh, who was here earlier in the show. Eric, thank you so much for spending this hour with us. Always we, a privilege and a pleasure. And we thank all of you for spending that hour with us as well. Take care. Bye.